0: Our scripture reading this evening is Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. Listen carefully now to the very words of Almighty God. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Amen. May God bless these inspired words to our hearts as we consider them in this, this evening's sermon. This week I was walking through a department store and uh, a man stopped me and he asked, what church are you from? Well, I was wearing a, I was wearing a, a long garment that, hin- that Hindus or Indians wear because I had been attending an Indian wedding. So he, he thought maybe I was practicing meditation And it gave me the opportunity to talk to him about the the, uh, errors. Because this is a man who was, according to his testimony, a Christian. As we talked for about an hour standing in the aisle, uh, I had many opportunities to guide him to the only hope that we have. And that is the scripture, the message of salvation. Because this was a man who, as he talked, kept saying to me, the way that things are going today, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I I think I might have to suffer. I I, I don't really have hope. I think the key verse, or maybe they're all key verses, in our text this evening is verse 4. For whatever was written, whatever was written before whatever things were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God gave his scripture with the ultimate purpose that we would have hope, hope in all of our circumstances in life. Hope in the trials that we face as believers. Hope when loved ones who are cherished by us suddenly die. Hope when we are facing enemies that want to destroy us or that, that do whatever harm they can at our workplace. Hope as we see this nation sinking down into the abyss in its moral depravity. The scriptures were given so that we might have hope. So that the VanderTorn family may have hope in times like this. Why are there so many centuries of the history of God's dealing with his covenant people? I I wondered about that when I first became familiar with the Bible and saw that there's this very large Old Testament filled with so many stories and, and the law of God and all the interaction of God with his people in all different times. And then we come to the New Testament and... Christ comes into the world, and he, ful- he has fulfilled the things of the past, and we have one generation of writing, and then the scriptures are finished. But it is all written so that we, who study these scriptures, by learning the message of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, hope is not the only thing that scriptures are intended to give to us, but but Paul is pointing us in this direction because there were problems that, Taking place in the church uh, in Rome. There were things happening that people were, were taking the scripture, the things that they learned, and were debating with each other and acting like it was mere knowledge. Something that you, you know, you learn it intellectually and then one person is right, another person is wrong, and quarreling and debating things that are not so significant sometimes in the Scripture. The Lord gave us the inspired Scriptures, he says, especially the knowledge of Christ, who is the the main cause, the main source of hope, first for our education about God. That is important. We are to learn everything that God has given us in the Scriptures for our learning. And secondly, for edification by God, that we might be built up in in comfort, is what Paul points to here, in comfort and and, uh, the patience of the scripture, which is, if you look at the footnote in your text, uh, it will say perseverance, uh, a sense of that Greek word, that 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 kind of patience, that patience in facing adversity or in continuing through all the trials of this world until the end and growing stronger through it all. That kind of edification. And finally, resulting in our exaltation to God, which this passage ends with, that we read this evening. That we rejoice in God, or as Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, that we rejoice in the hope Of the glory of God. Not just rejoicing in God, but we're going to be there with him. We're going to dwell with him for all eternity. Something we can't even wrap our head around. So, let's consider then what God is doing in giving us this scripture for our edification. This is our learning. Romans 15 verse 4. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. God has given us a textbook. He wants to educate us. This is very important, because how can we know anything at all about God? We live in a world in which all of the general knowledge, the revelation that we have from creation, is distorted, and it's, it's um, misrepresented by demonic forces and people that are led by them, people that are depraved, and everyone's looking at the, the universe and they're not understanding who is the true God, what are his ways, what are, what are even his moral uh, precepts. They don't understand even the morality that was imprinted in their souls when they were created. And so we, 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 we must have a revelation from God. We cannot know anything. And, and people that are in the world, searching for God, searching within themselves, searching in the world, trying to find out who is God and does God really exist and is there a God, are doing that because God is invisible. He's he's an invisible, infinite spirit. He doesn't have any physical form except the form that that, uh, Christ took in his incarnation, which is not even in our world. So you cannot find God. All of your searching will not bring you to finding God unless you have a message from God that will help you you must have something that God has given to you bridging this gap between between our, our, our carnality our fleshly life and, and God's infinite transcendence the invisible God cannot be found the evidence of him is everywhere but he cannot be found so we must have this book of knowledge. And the first thing that we are to ask when we come to this book is, what, am I, what is this book for? It is to teach us about God. Who is God? What is God like? Why don't we know Him? Why do, why, why do we come into the world without a relationship with Him? Already knowing who He is. Because we see in the garden in the beginning, Adam and Eve knew Him in the beginning but we live in a world that knows him not. So learning is absolutely important, and God has given us such a treasury, such a vast knowledge of himself. Look at all of the Christian libraries, you know, at the seminaries, hundreds of thousands of books on rack after rack after rack of just the the study of this book, of what the knowledge of God is in here. Because there are so many important and good things to learn. Learning is very important. We have the Great Commission. Go into all nations and make disciples. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God the Father gave us this knowledge. God the Son brought it into our world. God the Holy Spirit works with the apostles and puts it into writing, and then works with us to study and learn this knowledge so that we are literally disciples of the three members of the Trinity. A disciple is someone who follows all the teaching of his master teacher. He lives his life by that teaching. And we are disciples of what we are learning in this book. And we are to study it. God said when he, or Moses, was told by God to say when God gave manna from heaven that he gave you manna to eat that you might understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that manna fell every single day except on the day of rest. Just like they had to go out and gather manna every day, you must get into this word of God every day for your spiritual life and learning. That is how God designed it. For your edification, so that you would grow in the knowledge of God. Basic Christian doctrine is the elementary things, easy things to learn. Even children can read this book and learn the elementary Christian truths. That's the milk of the word. More difficult mysteries are the meat, the strong food. And then we we come to all of the systematizing of that knowledge. So we had to have the three forms of unity. We had to have all of these complex creeds. And even going, the the Westminster Standards went much farther and putting all of these things into a doctrinal statement that has everything in an order that we can use and apply. But God didn't give that knowledge to us in an order. He didn't give us a Belgic confession of faith and say, here, this is me. This is about me. Because everything that God wants to teach us, he put within the real history and lives and struggles and trials and hardships and heart pains of people that were interacting with him, that knew him, that fell into sin with him, walking with him, that triumphed in victories with him. And he put that knowledge piece by piece by piece in that real history so that we could apply it in our own life. So that we could see how God's knowledge, how God's the things that God would have us learn should be or has a place in everything that we do in life. Literally everything. With all this learning, there are going to be some disagreements. There will be You know, there's more than 130 Baptist denominations. Thankfully, we don't have that many Reformed and Presbyterian denominations. And many other uh, churches have different denominational divisions because there is disagreement in this doctrine. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19 says, There must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. That is, those who are approved by God because of their godliness, their study in the word of God, their consistency and faithfulness in Christian doctrine, walking and living a life that is an example to others. Those are the kind of men that should be elders in the church that you should vote for, you see them. You watch the example of their life. Some things in this knowledge that we're we're learning call for bloody battles. The scripture says to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. In the book of Jude. We have to fight over things like the Trinity, the the three persons of God, and what those persons are. That they're, they're, they're not... It's it's not God putting on a mask and acting like three different people. It's actually three persons in one God. We have to battle over the holiness and sovereignty of God, the creator and judge. We should fight over the incarnation and the two natures of Christ. That Christ is prophet, priest and king. That every person in this world is depraved and God, God Almighty is absolutely sinless and holy and perfect. That salvation is through Christ alone. That the person, death, and resurrection of Christ is real history. That there will be a glorious return of Christ. But all truth does not have the same importance. It it does not have the same clarity. There are things that are of great importance in Scripture and things that are of minor importance and that are only sometimes only inferences that are drawn from things that are important. So Paul talks in in Romans 14, he writes about doubtful things. He begins chapter 14 with these words. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. One believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Well, where do we get the understanding from Scripture that we can eat all things, right? First there was Moses, Who I mean Noah, who, who Moses wrote the words, but Noah, who was told by God that just as in the beginning God had given us plants to eat, he now gives us meat to eat. It is a gift from God. It is a providence from God. And then we have Peter being the one who sees the sheet let down from heaven with all of the different creatures that were condemned to eat in the Old Testament. And now he's told, do not despise what God has cleansed. And we understand that all things are pure for those who give thanks to God. All things are pure to eat. That's what the scripture means when it says, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. It's in the context of what we can eat. It does not mean that all things are lawful for me. So there's, it's important to study the scriptures carefully. What is the context in which things are revealed? And there are many things that are doubtful, things that we... We do not want to die fighting on that hill. We don't want to contend earnestly against someone over whether or not they're going to eat vegetables alone. That's not important. We can tell them what the scripture says and why we believe it's right, but don't let it become a matter of quarreling and and fighting. And yet Paul then brings us to what seems to be possibly he doesn't say it specifically the lord's day in verse six he, he who observes the day observes it to the lord and he who does not observe the day to the lord he does not observe it this this is is something that really strikes at the heart of many of us you know and and uh, when I was in India, uh, the, the pastor of the church that I served in as a teaching elder also, uh, that pastor believed that the, pa- the, the Sabbath has completely passed away, that there is no Sabbath for us today in the church based on something written by a, um, a uh, Christian counselor named Jay Adams. And uh, and I believe that we have to honor one day out of seven. And pretty soon there were jokes flying before my children about the, the view of uh, Reverend and Mrs. Pullman, right? And there was a division, and there was, there was conflict and bitterness. And these kinds of things happen because of a view that we have in scripture, do you know that Calvin uh, says in his institutes that he, be- he believed that every day should be called the day of rest from now on? Because we have entered into our everlasting rest through Jesus Christ. He said, every, I, I wish every day were the day of rest. But the early church fathers did well in, in selecting the first day of the week. And then he bases it on the principles that we do. But he says, I don't, I don't even care about the number seven anymore. Because the, the Sabbath of the Old Testament on the seventh day of the week, on what we call Saturday, was fulfilled when Christ died on the cross and, and we began to believe in Christ and enter it into our everlasting rest in Christ. That's what Calvin understood. And yet, here's a man who no one would, no one would doubt that Calvin, uh, no one would, uh, in this church, I think, or in any other churches in the URC, would fight with Calvin uh, if he came into the church And he talked about these things because he is our teacher, the chief teacher of many of us. I'm a Calvinist. I think many of you are. And so not all truth is of the same importance. Paul writes, We who are strong ought to have, or we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Was Calvin the strong person or the weak person? Depends on what your perspective is on this question, doesn't it? Where you stand. Um, I used to pay people that were working, building my house, I used to pay them not to work on the Lord's Day so that I could keep them there, (laughs) and they wouldn't go away and leave because they wanted to work every day of the week. (laughs) And, okay, does that mean I'm stronger or weaker? But is it something that I should fight with when uh, some persons believe that every day is now the day of the Lord and not just one day of the week? Paul's concern is in chapter 14, verse 15. If you're, where he's talking about the food Controversy, And he says, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. You're no, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food, your disagreement over food, he means, the one for whom Christ died. And then in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Why? Because, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 19, pursue, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. That is to build up each other. Let us pursue those things And whatever kind of conflict is not edifying and is not the defense of doctrine that we must absolutely defend, let us pursue peace. Because the second point of our message is that God has given the patience and the comfort of the scriptures for our edification. God's intention in giving us the scriptures to edify us. Now, church discipline can be very edifying. It has that intention. It can be misused. It can be misdirected. But the goal of all discipline is edification. It's the building up of the saints and the strengthening of believers and To see that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not overrun by evil and taken over and made to be a a synagogue of Satan. But the scriptures are written, Paul says, to train us in perseverance and comfort. When God was judging his people, he says, I'm about to do my strange work, my alien work, because Christ Jesus It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance came into this world to save sinners. That is his main work. That is what he came to do. And when he was done, he went back to heaven. At least he took his body there. And that should be our goal. The salvation of sinners, the edification of the believers, the strengthening of those who who know the Lord. But knowledge... It's not just for knowledge. Knowledge, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, puffs up. But love edifies. We can have a head full of knowledge, and especially as Reformed uh, seminary students and theologians, oh, we want to express that we've got the knowledge right. We've got the right doctrine. And we can be very puffed up about it. Well, at the same time, uh, we can fail to pursue the love that that knowledge aims for. We're to use the knowledge of the Scripture not as clubs and axes, but to build up each other. So, verse one says, "We bear with the scruples of the weak, and not just please ourselves." What are scruples that we have? This word that we have in the King, the New King James Version. It's a Greek word that means weakness or lack of strength or inability to produce results due to ailments or limited capacity or incapability or infirmity. I know what that's like. I went through some years of, of declining mental and physical strength, um, and I, I think a doctor diagnosed it eventually as uh, long-term exposure to DDT in India. And God seems to have been bringing me back from that. But, you know, uh, some people, are, they go through different kinds of weakness and failure, and other people don't know why. And we, we are to bear with their weaknesses. We are to be the strength of those who are weak as much as we are able to. And the same is the case with discipline. Sometimes uh, we may um, we may, as strong believers, be too heavy in disciplining weaker brothers and sisters because we don't understand their level of knowledge and their level of strength. And so Paul writes in Romans 15, 5 and 6, May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this word like minded or this phrase like minded toward one another? It's actually just two words in Greek, the entire phrase. And it means simply same-mindedness. Have a a same mind as other persons. What is that same mind? That we pursue the glory of God. That we pursue the edification of people in the church through the scriptures. That we are going to love each other. That we're going to together glorify God. And whatever we can do to, to bring glory to God. Um, at one time, when we were serving in South India, um, we were sent by, our, uh, by Cornerstone Church to reform a ministry that my father-in-law wanted to uh, reform. He's, he asked for the church to send us there. But soon I found that my Baptist brother-in-laws did not really want the ministry reformed. And fighting began, and struggle began. And who's going to, who's going to uh, lead this ministry? And finally I said to my wife, we have to ask the church to let us out of the situation. Because this is not giving glory to God at all in the community in which we're serving. This was a family that was in close contact with all kinds of Hindus and Muslims and, and other pe- people of other religions. And what a disgrace when Christians are fighting before. The, Paul says, don't even take your case in which you're fighting with another Christian before unbelievers in the courts. There was one man who, um, who trusted his Christian friend. And he, he, he was posted by the government to serve as the, the officer of drainage in another state. And he's a Christian. And, uh, And after he came back from years of service, came back to his home that he had trusted his Christian friend to rent out for him. And his friend had sold it away. Which is very common in India. Uh, Different culture. And a lot of people are after other people's properties. And there's a lot of uh, things that betray and show that a person is not really, maybe not a true Christian after all. But this is something very common there, and so he he went to the house and he said, "I'm, I'm the owner of the house, and I I would like to, uh, just inform you that when your lease expires, you'll have to move." And the people said, "No, we're not leasing; we own the house." And this man determined then that he was not going to go to court against his brother who had done this wrong to him, because it would bring great disgrace on the entire uh, church in the name of Jesus Christ. So he offered to buy his house back for a lot of money. Why? Because we are not to quarrel and fight and strive over things before the world, we are we are out to win the world to Christ. We have a goal, a purpose to glorify the true God together. And petty divisions don't help us. And and even, you know, when you when we're striving against each other for what things seem very important to us and very costly to us, it is nothing like the cost of a soul and the salvation of people in the community. The cost comparatively cannot even you cannot stand one up against the other. The, the, the cost of a soul is very pr- precious and priceless. And it took the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, coming into this world, suffering and dying for us, who, who went to the cross saying, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup be taken from me. That high of a price it is. That cost is our salvation. And that, compared to a property owned for a little while, is nothing. Does that mean that we will not struggle over earthly things? We will, but think of the comparative value of a person entering into life or perishing. We have, a, we have another purpose also, and that's not only to glorify God, but as Paul said in verse 4, that through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. This is a world without hope. Where do you get hope from here? This is a man who was a Christian who was losing hope and that I met in the store, and, and he's, he's just reaching out to complete strangers because of the lack of hope in his life. And not knowing what to do. Paul speaks much about hope in the book of Romans. In Romans 4, Romans Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 12. In Romans 5, he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Romans 4, he, he describes how Abraham, in hope against hope, believed. That's a hope that comes only by the Holy Spirit working in his heart enabling him to believe that he would be the father of many nations and and even though he was as good as dead and God gave him hope hope is something that every christian is supposed to have every true christian so paul says in, or peter says in 1 peter 3:15 that we should always be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's within us, because people are going to ask if you're a true Christian. There must be hope. We have the one thing that other people don't have in this world, especially in these times in which everything in America seems to be heading toward insanity. In all of the cultural Marxism of today, Marx wanted to completely destroy all morality, without reintroducing it on, on different terms, he said, in the Communist Manifesto. And so that's what's happening today. And uh, we, can, we can look at all of this and wonder, like this man in the wheelchair in the store, wh- where's the hope for the future? What can we do? But Christians are the ones that have to get into the scriptures and meditate in the scriptures because this is the book God has given to us to supply all the hope that we could possibly ask for. And God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us, the power that was working in Abraham when against hope, in hope, he believed. You can have the same hope, Christine. You can have a hope that the world cannot take away. You can have a hope that no matter what happens to anyone you love in this world, you can see them again. You can be with them for all eternity. This life, compared to eternity, is just a a moment in time. And for all eternity, you will be with the loved ones that knew the Lord in this life. The comfort of Scripture The comfort of Scripture, that these things are going to pass. The troubles we are going through now are temporary. We do not look at the things that are seen which are temporary, but the things that are not seen, that are eternal, the promises of God. The things that are absolutely certain because they are promises of God. There is no certainty about a lot of things in this life. But when God promises something... When God says something will happen, the reason that a person could be a prophet writing these words was because a prophet would speak the words of God about something that's going to happen in the future. And it would happen in his lifetime. And every true prophet spoke things that were fulfilled precisely. And people said, that man, he has to be a prophet. He he hasn't missed the mark. He gets it right every time. Do you see that? And these words were kept. These words were kept because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of the God who cannot tell a lie, who has the power to fulfill everything he says he will do, and who cannot do wrong to the people that he loves. Even when he's allowing us to go through troubles, he's doing something good for us. He's planning something good for us. He's planning an eternity together with him. He gives us himself. Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. Who could ask for anything more? And he gives us not only himself. He gave us his son, whom he loves more than anything in all of creation, For a wicked sinner like me? For a blasphemer like I was? A wicked sinner? And he he gave the son of his love, the son of his love for you? And not only that, he did not withhold his own spirit. What more can he give to us? What more could he reward us with than giving himself? He does it in love, in everlasting love, treasuring his people, inscribing us on the palms of his hands with with the blood of Christ. Through the patience and comfort of these scriptures. We might have hope. Are you lacking any hope in your life? Is it because you have not been getting into the learning, applying it to yourself for your personal edification of perseverance and comfort, which, Paul says, it will result in hope? there is no reason at all why any Christian should not have a hope that the world cannot destroy. Because God gives it. It is spiritual hope. It comes through spiritual words by the Spirit that God has given to us. Calvin said that God annexed the Spirit to the ministry or annex the ministry of the spirit to the scriptures so that there would be structure so that there would be the fulfillment of the things that are written here everything you read here in this book is spiritual don't read the scriptures as if it's simply something to learn It grieves me when we study evangelism, for example. Just an example. We study evangelism as if it is a subject. And then we're done and we put it aside. Instead of going and doing evangelism with what we have learned. It's not a subject to learn. It's a subject to do. It's a subject to build you up and make you a strong soldier in Christ Jesus as everything else in the scripture is for, to build you. It has to do with what you are doing with that word. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's exercise in godliness for all eternity to make you, Christian, a child of God, conformed again, by the work of the Spirit and the words of God to the very likeness that was so vitiated by the fall of Adam and all of our sin. I'll conclude by reading once more Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience or perseverance and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Amen. Almighty Father in heaven, your church looks to you for the things that you have promised. Lord, you are faithful and true. Fulfill your promise to your servants and strengthen us with hope, with comfort, perseverance, encouragement, peace, love, and the fellowship of God. This we humbly pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Thank you, Father.